Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 96th program in this series. In this program, I'm at the end of John chapter 16. Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. This is at the end of his ministry. In John chapter 16, verse 32, Jesus tells his disciples, Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. And then in verse 33, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. All right, now in verse 33, there are three parts to this verse, to what Jesus says. The first part is that he has spoken these things to his disciples, that in him they may have peace. And that has to do with being in Christ Jesus, with regards to being born again by the Spirit of God and becoming a child of God. This is part of what he communicates by saying, in him. The other part of this has to do with the relationship that they will have with him on an individual basis. That an individual relationship is going to be defined through being born again by the Spirit of God and made into a new creation according to the gospel. And that being made alive and into a new creation, being in him, having a relationship with him on a personal basis, that in this context, in this experience, they will experience a sense of peace. This, of course, is going to be in the inward part of a person, because the relationship that we have with him is a personal relationship, and it's one that exists within the core of our being. So he speaks of peace, but the kind of peace that he is referring to is an inner peace, not an outward peace in the context of our flesh and what we are experiencing in the world, which is why he follows this up by saying, in the world, you will have tribulation. This is the second part of this verse. You will have tribulation in this world. And then in the third part of this verse, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now, I've spent a lot of time in the previous programs talking about the inner peace, the personal relationship that our God wants to have with us, he wants us to experience. I have spent a lot of time speaking about this subject already, and so what I'd like to do in this program is speak about this idea of you are going to have tribulation when you are in this world. And this is a little bit awkward for a lot of people because there are a lot of people who have the belief 
that if you have a relationship with God, then you're not going to experience tribulation. You're not going to experience suffering. Or if you do, there will be some divine intervention that will take place in order to compensate you properly for the tribulation that you experienced. Some people believe this in different ways, to different degrees. But one thing that a lot of people do share in common is that they believe that when you have a relationship with God, the amount of tribulation that you may encounter in your life will be substantially reduced. And this is contrary. This is not the same as what Jesus said when he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. When he said this to his disciples, this is a truth that has been consistent ever since then. Another reason why this can be a little awkward for people is because they will usually turn to God because they are experiencing tribulations in their lives. And when these tribulations are taking place, sometimes they are so severe, they are so profound, that a person will seek divine intervention to help them get through these tribulations or overcome the consequences of these tribulations. And so when you look at something like this, John chapter 16, verse 33, when Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, this can be inconsistent with the reasons why a lot of people turn to God. And so it's necessary to spend some time talking about these expectations that people tend to have and talking about what Jesus said here concerning in this world, you will have tribulation and try to find how do we correlate or how do we work out these differences concerning people's expectations of God and what God said we're going to experience. Because these expectations that people have are not consistent with the way that God sees the situations that we are a part of. These expectations are not consistent with the objectives that God seems to have. We should know what these objectives are. We should know, we should understand what is God doing here in this world. What are his objectives? What are his goals? What is he actually trying to accomplish? What is he accomplishing? And you know, for a lot of people, these kinds of questions tend to be irrelevant because most people are so consumed with themselves that to take into consideration someone else's view, someone else's objective, someone else's interests, in general, there just isn't room in a person's life, or in a person's beliefs, for God. And I mean that in the sense of, there's no room for what might be important to him. This is a real issue that people deal with all the time, in one way or another. And so, to begin this topic, what I would like to start with is the statement, if there is a God, which is a partial question, if there is a God... But like I said, in most cases, people have their own expectations, and so it doesn't really become a question. It's more of a statement than a question. But if there is a God, then, well, then what? All right, but this is what I want you to consider, is that there are people who are asking this question, which tends to be a statement, if there is a God, and then they follow it up, 
with some philosophical idea that they have, because, of course, they are so wise, they are so important, that they are the ones who get to define, this is a distorted view, but there are people who have this view, that they are the ones who get to define God. What he's about, who he is, what is important to him. They believe that they are the ones who decide these things or can define these things. So people will start out with different views when it comes to the idea of, well, if there is a God. Let me give you a simple example. Consider the suffering that people experience in the world that you can see. There's a lot of suffering. There is certainly a lot of tribulation. All right. Well, if there's a God, he could do something about it. He would do something about it. He should do something about it, because if there is a God who is good, if he is a good God, then he would help all these helpless people. He would end all this terrible suffering. He would solve the problems that people face in their lives. This is what a lot of people assert. Whether they believe it or not is another question. But a lot of people will assert this. They will make this statement, this assertion, as if it's a question, but they don't really care about the answer. They're just using this as a way to define God in their own minds. If there is a God, then he would intervene in the suffering and in the tribulations that people experience. And since he does not... Well, then by definition, I guess we should say that there really is no God. And a lot of people believe this. I've encountered and continue to encounter people all the time who make this assertion. If there is a God, then, here's one example, there wouldn't be all this tribulation in the world. But here you have God manifested in the flesh in front of these people. And he tells them who he has been with for years. He tells them in this world, you will have tribulation. And so you should see that there are people who have this distorted view of God. They say, if there is a God, then there would be no tribulation. And then you have God himself saying, you know what? You're going to have tribulation in this world. So what else could a person conclude from this? Well, if there is a God... If we just simply accept the reality that there is a God, and yet he does not end the suffering that people are experiencing in life, if he does not end the tribulations that people experience and deal with, well, then God must be evil. People will pass judgment on God. They do. They pass judgment on him, and they say, You are evil. You are an evil God. Because you could have done something, and you didn't do anything. You did not help these poor people. You did not help me. You know, you did not intervene in a divine way to end this terrible, horrific, and it could very well be terrible and horrific, suffering and tribulation that people experience. So they will say, if there was a God, then he would solve all these problems. Since he does not solve all of these problems, well, then there is no God. Or, if there is a God, then obviously this God is evil because he doesn't solve all these problems. This is how people relate to the idea of God. If there is a God, 
Well, then these are the conclusions that people define. And they are not appropriate. It is not appropriate for people to make these kinds of assertions and decisions about who he is and what's important to him. It goes beyond that. Throughout the history of philosophy, for example, going all the way back to recorded history with the Greeks, the great Greek philosophers, as an example, throughout the course of history, there has been a predominant belief, this is the most popular belief, that if there is a God, there are certain characteristics about our God. For example, he knows everything. He needs to know everything. People have defined that going all the way back to the pagan Greeks. This was the definition of paganism. It was a definition of philosophical thought that included the philosophy of if there is a God. And this was a big part of it, the idea that God is omniscient. He knows everything. If he doesn't know something, then by definition, he cannot be God. Now, I do believe, I do, that if God wants to know anything, he can know whatever he wants to know. But from what I can tell in the scriptures, there are many examples that we can refer to, that we can study, that we can see that there are a lot of things that God would just rather not know. And so from the pagan Greek philosophical point of view, by definition, if there is a God, he must know everything And yet, from the biblical point of view, certainly he can if he wants to, but it appears that there are a lot of things that he just simply rather not know. Take, for example, what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah. When God was speaking with Abraham, and he sent two angels to go and investigate. He didn't go himself. He sent two angels. You guys go and find out if what's going on over there is what I've been hearing about. He decided that there were some things that he'd just rather not know. And he sent some angels to go and find out. Just to give you an example. So when we say, if there is a God, we had better be careful about what comes next. Who are we? Who are you? Who am I? To say that if there is a God, then I am going to say this is who he is. This is what is important To him, this is the way things must be. That is certainly the most popular approach to the idea of God. But just because it is the most popular, just because the overwhelming majority of people in the history of humanity have taken this kind of a position with God, that doesn't mean that they're correct. People will say that God is omnipresent as well. They will say that he is Everywhere. Well, you know, it appears, as an example, with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, he is willing to give some people some personal privacy. It appears that that's the case. And that he's not necessarily going to be everywhere that that we would maybe like him to be, but what if he doesn't want to be there? He certainly can if he wants. But I think that we have many examples that show that even though he could be wherever he wants to be, he has made decisions about where he's going to be and where he's not going to be, that he has discriminated, that he has made decisions that reflect that. And yet this is contrary 
to the philosophical thought of the overwhelming majority of people in the history of humanity. Now, from recorded history, as far as I know, the first examples of records that really describe these philosophical principles go back to paganism in Greek philosophy, pagan Greek philosophy. I understand that in the modern age that we are in right now, we usually use the word paganism for people running around in the forest without any clothes on, but that's not really what it is. Historically speaking, it was the foundation of Greek philosophical thought. And you know, these people put a lot of thought into their thoughts. They did. They put a lot of work into this. And they put a lot of effort into documenting what they felt was genuinely important. And since then, throughout history, going all the way into Catholicism and the philosophical expressions of Augustine, which were, in a sense, a resurrection of pagan Greek philosophy, and Augustine was considered to be the most influential theologian in the history of the church. And the reason why was simply because he interpreted the Bible through the lens of pagan Greek philosophy. And why would that make him so popular and make him so influential? Because most people would relate to that. Most people believed that already. They believed, well, if there is a God... Well, then he knows everything, he sees everything, he is everywhere, and there's more. If there is a God, well, then he is in control of everything. Absolute control. There is no maverick molecule in the universe. Because if there was, out of his control, well, then by definition, according to our definitions, he's not God. But God has structured this world. He has structured this earth in such a way that there exists choice. You can see this in animals. You can see this in people. That there is the element of choice. That people can make decisions for themselves. They can choose things. However, for a lot of theologians... And for a lot of pagan philosophers who share the same belief, this idea of choice is totally and completely unacceptable because it would go against the omnipotence, the omniscience, the omni-everything of God. For people to be able to choose, that's completely contrary to these beliefs that were well-documented going back to pagan Greek philosophy Augustine himself was very direct in saying that his beliefs were the expression of reading and studying the Bible from the lens of the beliefs of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. And it's not just about Augustine and his followers and his connection with Catholicism. Calvin said the same thing. Calvin was the Protestant version of Augustine, who was the version of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. All these guys are saying the same thing. They have just been speaking to different audiences. And they have been able to esteem a large audience because these beliefs are consistent with the majority of people in the world most of which reject the existence of God, or if they do accept the existence of God, they follow through with these kinds of beliefs of 
If there is a God, well then, this is who He should be. He should keep us from experiencing tribulations, and if He doesn't get in the way, then He is either pure evil, or we just have to rely on something related to this is just the plan of God for your life kind of thing. And you know, some people, they end up with good lives and they can say that whatever God's plan was for them was a good one. And they are thankful for the God and they love God because of this plan that seems to be in their life that just may simply have been a matter of circumstances because of who they were and who they were related to and just the situations that simply unfolded because of a lot of decisions that many people made that were totally out of their control. And there are other people who have experienced tremendous suffering, tremendous loss, tremendous tribulations. Well, where's all the benefit for them? They would see things differently. And I have known a lot of people who have rejected the idea that there even is a God because they have experienced so many difficulties, so many tribulations. Other people who have rejected God because of this belief that God has had this plan for them. And you know what? They don't like the plan. They don't. They don't like the plan at all. And so they would rather not have a God at all because the way their life is turned out, they are not happy with it in any way whatsoever. And you might say, well, they just need to wait a little while longer. Yeah, well, what about those who are definitely towards the end of their lives? And it does not appear waiting around a little bit longer is going to make things any better. What are you really going to tell them? And what about all that time between when they were younger and now they're older? I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. But this is the competition. The competition has to do with the fact that there are so many people who make this assertion of if there is a God and then they follow it up with all these ideas that really are inconsistent with who our God genuinely is. So we need to deal with the question, what is important to him? What are his objectives? What is it that he's doing in this world and why? Now, I do believe that God is in control, at least to a certain extent, and from a certain point of view. For example, obviously, we have a limited lifespan. We're only going to be alive for so long, and I realize that A lot of people have been trying all kinds of things and have been pursuing all kinds of scientific efforts to try to live forever, but it is not going to happen. Everyone who is born into this world will die. The death rate is one per person, and that's not going to change. And so clearly, there is some control. God has defined the parameters in such a way that he is in control in this sense That if you have a beginning, you will have an end. That, to me, defines some specific control that God has retained. Consider the earth that we are in. You probably have noticed that you can't get very far away from this planet. And if you do, well, you're coming back at some point or you will be dead. The more the people pursue an understanding of the way that this world is designed, the solar system is designed the differences between being here on earth and being in outer space, the more it becomes quite clear that God has defined some specific boundaries for us. Specific boundaries, and we're not going to be able to get away from these boundaries. And so does he have control? Absolutely. He has some 
definitive control. No one's going to be able to get away from this planet, not for that long, before they come back. That's for sure. So God has as much control as he wants to have. And in the midst of the boundaries that God has defined, he is able to accomplish some great things. I am out of time in this program, and so in the next program, I'm going to speak about the subject of what is God accomplishing. So if you understand that there is a God, if there is a God, well, what is he accomplishing? What are his interests? What are his objectives? And in understanding this, I think you'll appreciate more what he meant when he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Thank you for listening. This is the 96th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 16, verse 33. And in the first part of this verse, Jesus said that in this world, you will have tribulation. And so in this program, I spoke about some of the issues that people will have when they consider this verse. Because when people think about the subject of God, the existence of God, they will make assumptions about who they feel he should be and what's important to him. As an example, if there is a God, then they follow it up with some kind of description of who they think God should be. He should be a person who makes sure that people don't suffer in the world. As an example, there are people who will pass judgment against God because there is suffering in the world that he could stop, that he could intervene in, and yet he certainly does not. And so when people have these beliefs about God, and Jesus says that in this world you will have tribulation, this is a contradiction in many people's minds. And so in the next program, I'm going to address the subject of What is God trying to accomplish? And I will continue in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you.